Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, Eric V. What the fuck are you doing, David? And David, what are you? What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Is yeah. it the delay? Hit you with a switcheroo. Ah, oh, dude. Hit you with a switcheroo. Dude, I don't even. Yeah, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of like when people share straws for some reason at like a diner, and it's I don't know. Like you just took something that wasn't yours. You know, I, I don't fucking know. It's, it's got me all sorts of all fucking like, ugh, Alice. I know. I fucked fucked you up, didn't I? Yeah. I'm We're not your fan. hosts, David O. And Eric V. And Eric V. There we go. And Eric V. We're joined this evening by our special guest, James. How are you doing, James? I don't know if I'm James or I'm going to be somebody else. <laughs> no, but we'll, we'll, that's, that's we'll very stick true. with James. For, we'll stick with we'll James stick with for you. right now. I mean, I'm not going to be James. You guys. Doing, doing all right, man. You know, I got, got out, took a walk today uh, against quarantine, I guess. Didn't interact with anybody, but yeah, just walked around. It got, it got a little sunshine and mist. It was nice. You have to. You have to. Got him. Got him, man. Got to keep saying. So where are you from, mm-hmm. James? Originally, I'm from Alamogordo, New Mexico, but I reside now in Billings, Montana. Nice. Cool. Uh, and when were you first introduced to recovery? Oh, when was I first introduced to recovery? That's a, that's a really, actually, a solid question. I guess it all depends on how you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. My, my, uh, I guess, in a way, recovery day was April 2nd of 2018. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I kind of like to look at it as almost every day is going to be a recovery day because you're always, uh, how do I put it, and it's going to sound really weird, but learning and you're, re- you're recovering every day. So I, I guess that's kind of open for interpretation. Nice. Yeah, totally. So uh, how long have you been? How long have you been clean? I've been clean since April second of two thousand eighteen. Awesome, man! Well, you're coming up on two years, and uh, by the time this is up, yep. I'm sure you will have two years, hopefully. So, yep. congratulations, man! Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And with all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So, take it away, man. All right. <clears throat> oh, let me clear my throat here. I guess. My path to uh, ultimate, I'm not going to say damnation, but downward <laughs> spiral <defeat>. started. <laughs> yeah, defeat, yeah. Started probably, oh, geez, I don't know. I, I My story is kind of different, I guess, in a way where I didn't, I didn't grow up in that household that was abusive or, you know, real neglectful. Yeah. My dad was a really, really bad functioning alcoholic. So I guess that, that may or may not contradict what I said, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I guess a lot of people would say that they kind of came away from that with uh, a, a pre-existing, if you want, addiction mm-hmm. problem. Um, I probably started drinking. I think I had like my first beer, I would say when I was maybe 14. And I'll tell what you right now, I got, it was Corona. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oddly, oddly enough, and ironic as it is, that, oh, that's that, hilarious. Led, that led into about six beers that night, and I got, I was so drunk and so sick that 
for, I don't know, probably, you know, your time span, probably a year or two. I, was, I never, I couldn't even stand the smell of that crap. Yeah. Um, let's see. My dad died when I was 16. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really, I guess that's probably, I started to delve into it with getting into the hard liquor and stuff. Just being, you know, being your typical or not typical obnoxious teenager, just trying to just, I don't know, lashing out, uh, looking for some, uh, inner peace, I guess it was, it was always a real rough, rocky relationship with my dad. And I know my mom, you know, rest her soul. She did everything she could to try and keep me in line. But I just, I was like, kid, I wasn't having it. You know, yeah. I go out, I drive drunk and there'd be times I'd come home at two or three in the morning and wake up still inside my pickup parked against the fence because I had no idea how I even got home or, and then that kind of, that sort of settled down. I went to, um, went to college for about a year. Didn't really, wasn't really a whole lot of drinking there. Oh, excuse me again. When I got out, I was kind of forced out of school because I got a really bad car wreck at the time and the whole shenanigans with you can't have to take a bus because it's not reliable enough. So I moved up to Montana with my mom. Mm-hmm. And things were okay for a couple of years. And then just like out of the blue, I just started drinking. And it, it just progressively, it was, you know, it started off with beer. And it was, you know, your typical um, socialite drinking, I guess, for yeah. lack of a better term, if there is even such a thing anymore nowadays. Um, yeah. And I, it just, I just kept drinking. And it, was, it started to become more it was every other day or every few days or every weekend or every other weekend that it just progressively became, it was every weekend for sure. It was every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was, and it just kept building and building. And then it was the point where every day of the week, no matter what was going on, um, I met my girlfriend and she's, we're going to argue about this if she hears it. Uh-huh. My oldest son is 27. So I met her about 27 years ago, and we're still together. Nice. Um, and even with the birth of him, it didn't really slow down. It it kind of tapered. And then I went through a little bit of like a six-month spell where I stopped. I just, I don't I have no idea why I just did, but then it all fired back up again. And it was <clears throat> remaining to be, you know, a pretty steady issue that it, didn't really affect anything um, that I could see, I guess. Well, but then again, I was seeing through, you know, Hayes died. Um, but yeah. you were living to, you know, other things, you know, your other drugs of choice. Pretty much everything under the sun. The only thing I never did, thankfully, is heroin or meth. Mm-hmm. It was always just the booze or, you know, you. you your weed, your shrooms, acid, LSD, all, yeah. all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, we kind of bounced around because her mom passed away, so we lost the house that we were in. We bounced around. My mom took custody of our oldest son while we could try and get settled. But my out-of-control lifestyle just wasn't really having it. Mm-hmm. Um, we finally just gave up where we were at, came back to Montana, and just basically started over again, you know, along mm-hmm. with this this um, following addiction that I should have seen coming. 
that was trailing really fast up behind us, but I didn't. All my buddies, we'd drink after work. We'd go over to each other's houses and drink. It was a nightly thing. And then it just, it, I should have seen it coming. And I should have, I should have did the, the, the good parent thing and, and stopped when my son was born, hands down to begin with, or slowed down. Um, that became where it was more of just, I was, you know, I would go to my friend's house, I'd stay at home and drink, and it would be a 12-pack a night. That yeah. went on for a year or so, then that moved up to an 18-pack a night. That went for a couple of years. And then my man, oldest daughter was born. Should have really realized then, no, I didn't. Unfortunately, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, more and more and more. Um, I switched a couple of jobs here and there. was not happy at either one of them. And, I mean, that sounds like uh, trying to really blame something, but I think I just wasn't happy with myself the way I was. I, I mean, I could see it, but I didn't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. Um, with the job, jumped back and forth, and just being super miserable all the time. I couldn't make ends meet to save my life, no matter what I did. And... Fortunately, I guess for me is my mom had since had passed. She's been gone for 21 years. So I didn't have anybody to fall back on for Mm -hmm. monetary needs or anything because it just, it just wasn't there. And, and that, and I'm glad it didn't. Otherwise I would have spiraled faster. But at the same time, I think back, maybe, maybe that would have been a good thing that I would have spiraled quicker and, pulled myself out of the gutter, but it didn't. It just Mm -hmm. grew and grew and grew. I ended up getting what, to me at the time, I thought was a um, a dream job of working in the automotive industry in a body shop at one of the largest dealerships here in Montana. Yes. Being starting out as a base apprentice in the body shop, sanding cars, priming them, getting him in the booth ready for the painter. And I was working my way up. I was, I was working like from seven in the morning till six, seven at night, just staying on the hustle, I guess for, you know, however you want to put it. But mm-hmm. at the same time I'd come home at night and I'd start drinking. Well, we, there was a little bit of a rough patch at work where I started to get unhappy. So I switched over from beer to the hard stuff, your liquor, mm-hmm. whiskeys. And we're talking, not the high-end Grey Goose or, you know, that high-end stuff. We're talking bottom barrel, wild turkey oh, yeah. stuff. And started doing that. And I, and I was, I guess at the, you could say I, I turned into my dad. I was a full-blown functioning alcoholic. Um, I started to become the proverbial, as a lot of addicts will say, and I can, I see it now and I understand where they're coming from, the, the Jekyll and Hyde character. Uh-huh. I was basically a ticking time bomb waiting to just at any given moment explode. Just in, in anybody within a certain range was was nothing but basically just collateral damage. Um, yeah. I was at work one night by myself and I was trying to take a hood off of a uh, stand after it got a painting. Well, it slipped out of my hand. I went to try to catch it, which is the dumbest Ooh. thing I could have done. And when I did it, when I went to grab it, it pulled my arm 
so hard out of socket, it tore my rotator cuff and my bicep muscle. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so I went to the doctor the next day, and they looked at it and said, yeah, we're going to need to do MRIs and some, you know, scans and everything on it. And we come to find out <clears throat> that I have a heart condition. Mm-hmm. I never went to the doctor before. Never. I hate the doctor with a passion because they're yeah. always trying to load you up with something that you don't need. They're leeches, in my opinion, unless you absolutely need it. I try and stay away from it. And also being the typical, you know, the tough guy persona, like, oh, I'll get through it. I went about yeah. a month with it like that, and I couldn't do it no more. So I finally went in, and they said, we can do the operation. We can fix this. You'll be out of work for seven to eight months easily. And mind mm-hmm. you, this, my, my income was the only income coming in. Uh, um, so I thought, well, I mean, I guess I don't really have a choice that says, but we can't do it because your heart's so bad that if we try to open you up and do the surgery, you'll more than likely die on the table from a blood clot. Good God. Um, yeah. Um, so they put me on a whole bunch of heart medications mm-hmm. and said, we'll keep an eye on you. We'll keep monitoring you. And if you get, can get your blood pressure down to where it's reasonable and stable, we'll do the surgery. When, when I went in to have it even looked at to begin with, my blood pressure was, oh man, it was 230 over 180, I think. Good God. Yeah. They had, they pulled it. They checked it like three or four times and they, they swore to God it wasn't the right reading. And, but the thing is I felt, you know, I felt just fine. You know, you don't don't think anything about it. Mm-hmm. So now that you know all the medication, they've had to, you know, they do the whole adjusting thing, and then you know, it, uh, it, it it sucks because when that happened, I thought first of all, well, I'm going to lose my job. I'm expendable. You know, they need, you know, they need people back there that can work and not be gimped up. I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. playing and trying to do stuff, but my um, my employer they basically created a little job for me to keep me employed, being like the parts guy and you know stuff that wasn't a whole lot of um, unnecessary movement to further do any more injury or damage to my arm. Well, along with that came the fact of okay. I've been used to working all my life, hands-on, very physical. I was always, I wasn't really taught, I guess I shouldn't say always, but I was, I brought myself up watching my dad work and trying to instill into my own brain that if you're not getting your hands dirty, if you're just sitting there, you know, pushing a pencil or doing anything, you're, basically I, I convinced myself that I was way less of a man because I couldn't do, mm-hmm. I wasn't doing what I was used to be doing. Mm-hmm. That in itself really uh, triggered the, um, I guess you could say, roller coaster at the top of the, very top of the hill that's about ready mm-hmm. to get out of control really fast. That started yeah. spinning me so quick. I honestly, I don't really, it went on for about two years where I was just spun so far out of control um, that finally it it just, it, it, it kind of, it would ebb and flow and come in crescendos, but once it really started to take hold, 
it got a hold of me and it was not letting go for anyone or anybody. Now, mind you, through all of this, well, I, even before I got hurt, um, my son, he works with me now and he is doing, I mean, he's going to take over one of these days, but he had his first kid, his daughter, my first grandchild. And you would think, anybody would think that, hey, that should be a sign to, to stop or slow down, you know, because you got a grandkid now. Enjoy yeah. it, you know, it, do the whole grandparent thing, this and that. That didn't help in the absolute least. I didn't, there was, I mean, there was, I would acknowledge her. I would, I love her. I'd do anything for her. But all reason being why I wouldn't quit or why I didn't quit, I honestly don't have any reasoning why I didn't and I should have. Um, there's so many times that I guess I was uh, silently screaming for help and getting frustrated with myself that nobody was listening. Because by this time, my girlfriend has, has been used to seeing every which way that I would go. And they just, they, her and my kids, they, got, they just kind of got used to it. And the more matter I got at myself, the more I would drink. Um, I went in, I went in for one of my routine checkups for my heart and everything to see where we can go. And the doctor took one look at me and said, "We're going to run a battery of tests on you." And said, "Well, for what? You're just going to check my blood pressure. That's the assumption of why I'm coming in here." And they said, "No, something's not right." So they did the whole blood work, the urine work. They did all kinds of tests on me, and they called me back in like two or three days later and said, look, here's the situation. As much as, from what you're saying, your drinking level, because you go in there, and you know how it is if you're a smoker. They say, do you smoke? Oh, yeah, you know, two or three cigarettes a day. And then you go back in a month, and they say, well, why are your lungs completely destroyed? They kind of yeah. get it. Yeah, my doctor was that way. He says, okay, one or two drinks a night, really? He says, what are you drinking, pure grain alcohol or just straight gas? What are you drinking? He says, your kidneys are failing. Mm -hmm. Your liver is failing. You're basically, I was told that I was on my deathbed and had probably six months to live at best. Whew. I walked out and I said, all right, perfect, man. Sounds like a plan. I got this taken care of. First thing I did when I got in my car is went right to the liquor store and bought another bottle of the poison peppermint schnapps. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and I, I kind of think back to myself, what, you know, was it because it's peppermint schnapps? I mean, it's it's obviously your bottom shelf stuff. If it was a higher quality, you know, you get all these stupid addict questions that run through your mind. But it, it was to the point when where I would actually buy that store, that liquor store, out of peppermint schnapps for the week, and I would be out. I'd have like you know three, you know five or six bottles of it, and be done with it. And well, I was going through a whole fifth of it a night, just and to the point basically where I would black out and be able to go to sleep. I would go and buy the absolute worst vodka you can think of, and find peppermint sticks wherever I could, and put them in there, let them soak for three or four hours and drink that whole bottle and get just so obnoxiously sick. It's not even funny how bad it was. Ugh. And that's the first thing that I did was ran right to the store and, you know, bought another bottle. Yeah. Well, 
this just kept going on and on and on and on um, for probably, I'd say, another year. Um, it was to the point where, honestly, if I was to, to go outside of the shop to look at a car or something, I could be out there for five minutes to come back in and be just drenched in sweat like I'd ran a marathon. I was so sick and didn't realize. I just thought, wow, that's really freaking hot outside. Well, I started yeah. noticing other little things like, honestly, I could not bend over to pick up, say, if I dropped my pen. I couldn't bend over to pick it up. I'd have to do the, you know, that weird stance and try and pick over without falling over because mm -hmm. I went from probably right around 150 or 150 pounds to, at the end of it, I was pushing 215, and it was all liquid. I wouldn't eat anything throughout the day. I have something to eat at night and wash it down, like I said, with a big bottle of peppermint schnapps. Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and throughout this whole thing, you know, I should be thinking I need to start, I, I need to clean myself up. This is getting bad. I never did. Well, our oldest daughter, come to find out, she was pregnant also. Mm -hmm. you, would, you would think, okay, now's the time. I just, my own self, selfishness and addiction-riddled brain just, you know, kept saying, no, 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 no. There's time. There's plenty of time. Just go get more. Go get more. You know, the, the devil on my shoulder was my best friend. Mm -hmm. And I did everything the devil said. Um, so I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. Well, I was starting to, I guess you could say, after the 25-plus years of, you know, slowly working my way up there, then finally hitting that peak. Man, I was tired. I mean, yeah, physically beat up. My brain was exhausted. It was to the point where there were multiple mornings when I would get up from work, being sick in the fucking kitchen sink or wherever I could find to be sick as quick as possible. And mm -hmm. my girlfriend would say, "Who in who the fuck were you talking to last night?" And I wasn't talking to nobody said you were carrying on a conversation with somebody and I I don't know what you're talking about you know mm -hmm. one night thinking back about it I, I caught myself talking to myself and carrying on whether it was intelligent or not I have no idea it was more than likely just belligerent babble and, and then I thought oh that's really weird I probably shouldn't do that oh one of my um uh, pastimes and one of my hobbies that I really love to do was is draw. I love to draw. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I thought I, I'm going to draw to take my mind off the things. You know, draw at night when everybody's in bed. I can put my headphones on, <clears throat> listen to music, and draw. Well, I tried drawing and I couldn't. I couldn't focus. And I figured mm -hmm. I'm drunk. I should be able to do this with my eyes closed. It started to destroy my eyesight as well. I thought my glasses, Ooh. I just needed to um, go and have my eyesight checked again. No, come to find out, when I did go and get my eyesight checked, there's a, there's a glaucoma was starting to set in, and I thought, oh, well, here we go. The whiskey's starting to take my eyesight away, too. You think? You'd think it stopped. Nope. Nope. Not in my brain. Right back to the liquor store, and to celebrate my newfound disease, because I was starting to rack up some illnesses like 
you wouldn't believe. First, it was the heart, then kidneys, and everything. I was I was going for every organ I could think of, just to I was set out to destroy it. I guess self destruct mode kicked in, and go right buy some more um, liquor. Well, after all this is still going on, I'm thinking. You know, I'm I'm really I I don't want to be here at this place of work anymore. I I hate it. I'm not getting paid enough. I started getting set in my own mind that they were out to get me, even though they weren't. So we mm-hmm. went through about six. We went through about six months of contract negotiations for my wages to put me at a higher pay wage. I didn't have to work so much, but I would get paid, and we could actually really survive at this time. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, this goes on for, you know, six, seven months. And it all finally come to a head. One day, I went into the boss and I flat told him, I said, look, this is the last day. Either get it figured out now, I'm going to bounce. I'm out the door. I don't need this shit. I'm done. And the next day, he pulled me into the office and I figured, well, I'm going to be fired. I already had my stuff ready to go because I knew what was coming. They told me that they'd had it all figured out. I was going to get paid more, and that was it. I was like, cool, it's about time. Well, my daughter, my youngest daughter had a choir concert that night. So we went to it, and we went and grabbed something to eat before we come home. And we were sitting on the couch. And mind you, at this point, they had, the doctors had put me on so many fucking medications that it, it would make a horse pass out. They had me on antidepressants, all the heart medications, all just whole cocktail that Mm -hmm. probably shouldn't be taken even by a sober person. But I'm sitting there and my girlfriend went to bed and usually what I would do is I'd go eat, crack the bottle and drink till two or three in the morning, just black out, get up at seven or 6.30, be sick, jump the shower, the whole typical routine. Mm -hmm. Something was weird about this night. I don't know what it was. I was sitting on the couch watching TV with her and she went to bed and I sat there for a little while longer and I thought, yeah, all right, well, I need to get up. And, you know, it was it was almost uh, like I was paying myself to do it. It was a job. It was required for me to do every night, no matter what. If it, it was to the point, and it pains me to say it, that if the kids were sick or they needed to go to the hospital or the doctor... I would legitimately get mad because that was cutting into my drinking time. I would literally get furious about it. And I was just sitting there and I thought, I'll wait a couple more minutes. I was watching something on TV. I don't remember what it was. I'm sure it wasn't very interesting. I thought, man, I'm kind of tired. I said, you know, I told myself, I'm just going to go sit down by the TV so I can turn it up a little bit so I can hear it because everybody was asleep and I just sort of Sat for a minute, thought, okay, I need to go get my drink. Got up, opened the fridge, grabbed the bottle, kind of looked at it, set it down, said, oh, no, actually, I'm really hungry. So I went to eat my food, looked at it, and I thought, no, I'm not really hungry. I'm just, I'm just going to go, you know, sit back down again. Well, that ended up being me laying, going to bed and fell asleep. I woke up at probably 10, 30, or 11 the next day. And something in my head just snapped. And that was it. Believe it or not, that was the last time I ever put the bottle to my mouth. 
and I don't I don't know if it was the fact that I felt like honestly like a million bucks when I woke up without drinking anything. Uh-huh. But I just fell asleep, and when I got up, I felt phenomenal. I had so much energy, and to me, it was the greatest thing ever. And I thought, wow, that's that's actually you know kind of pretty cool. So I did it again the next night or the, that night. Same thing. Woke up a little earlier because I was you know rested, and it's been that journey ever since then. Mm. And I and mm-hmm. you know I can be I can be thankful that it didn't take me going to jail or prison or anything like that to have to come to that realization. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in my own head, I created my own prison by neglecting, you know, all those around me just to, you know, to, to chase that fix. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to to admit is um, self-defeat. Um, oh, geez, I don't know how you say it. Uh, self-loathing. Hatred of yourself, but yeah, it it just and it's it, you know I I hear a lot of people and I've been to the meetings and I've heard people saying that you know this is what happened to me this is why I had to I I didn't really have a, a whole dramatic conclusion to it I just mm-hmm. honestly fell asleep and woke up and thought this is great this is how I. I don't know if I if it was how I want to live life or how I should live life, but that's basically really how that all transpired into, you know, becoming sober. Nice. nice. All right. Well, we definitely have some questions for you. Since Very good. I, uh, I'm good for questions. Yeah, man. Uh, since I. Uh, so so rudely threw a curveball at Eric. I will graciously allow him to go first. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm very curious because you you know you had a lot of medical complications from your addiction, and it's mm-hmm. it's definitely it's something that definitely happens, right? Like if you if you don't stop drinking, you get cirrhosis. If you don't, you know, mm-hmm. put like uh, if you don't stop doing coke or smoking crack, you know, you're probably going to eventually have a heart attack. Like, the, you know, there's like a lot of mm-hmm. um there's a lot of medical issues that come with drinking and doing drugs. So, what was the outcome or, you know, I'm sure you're still going through this, but how have you gone about taking control of your medical disorders uh, now that you are clean and sober? Um, that's a good question. and I'll try to explain it where it's sort of, it, I don't know if it's going to make sense or not, but I basically I followed everything that the doctor said. They, they said, you need to take this medication for your heart. We're going to keep checking you on the weekly and this excuse me, week, you know, weekly for my kidneys, my liver, everything else. And all they put me on some different, like, I, and I can't remember the, to save my life, the medication, but I've been off it for a long time for my kidneys and the, and the cirrhosis and all that. Mm-hmm. And they basically, 
in a roundabout way that they they went almost Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator. They regenerated themselves. Hmm. Huh. So now, as far as I'm aware of, they because they haven't done any more done any more tests like that in quite a while. The last time they did have it do a test like that, it came back that my cholesterol was high. Hmm. So I don't know if um, I'm not I'm not a real firm believer that um, that's going to sound bad that there is a God but I know that there is a higher power out there that maybe this higher power took over and made things good for me to be honest I, I don't I don't really know or I guess have an answer to that hmm. but it, it just kind of they just basically I did everything that I was supposed to do yeah and it all to this at the to this point you know, as far as like right now that I'm aware of, is all it's all worked out really good. I still have high cholesterol, of course, and yeah. my blood pressure is still a little bit off. But in you know, with the medications and everything that they pulled me off a bunch of like the antidepressants and things like that, those are all gone, gone away. Mm. Haven't had those in probably a year or so. Um, I think too that <clears throat> maybe with that is. With quitting drinking, um, this was kind of a funny story, probably totally off subject, but I really knew, and it had set in that some it was things were starting to change for me. Was one day my girlfriend and I were driving to the store, and I'll never, I'll never ever forget what she said because she kept looking at me, and I could see her out of the corner of my eye. And you know, after a few blocks of this, I finally asked, her, "What? What are you looking at? What do you see? What is? What's going on?" And she squarely looked me right in the eye at a stoplight and says, you've deflated. And she reached over, she started pushing on my stomach. She goes, not six, seven months ago, you, the seatbelt was stretched so tight that there was no movement. Now it's just loose on you. She goes, you've deflated. <clears throat> so after, it was probably two or three months of just stopping drinking, I dropped like 70 pounds and that was just from the drinking I didn't change my eating habits nothing that was all the booze so yeah it's it's not good but I think with with that came my liver starting to be better my you know my kidney everything else started to it started to function again now I will say that within that time and it's going to be gross but my body did some really weird shit in that amount of time. Mm. There were odors that would come out of me mm -hmm. and things like that that would would blow your mind like there is something dead, rotting, or dying inside you. But I think that it was just my body was finally starting to flush itself out mm. yeah. and getting rid of all of those toxins. And mm -hmm. once it was gone, I mean, you know, I went back in and said, hey, you know, it's you know, you need to check the liver and everything like that. And the doctor looked at me and says, I can, just off a of first glance, I can tell you right now that from the first time we checked you, you are 3,000% better than you were because your face isn't yellow, your skin isn't yeah. yellow, you're not, you look like you're about ready to explode. So I just, you know, went with it. And like I said, I just did everything that they told me to do and just did my own thing. And so far, you know, again, I hate to sound like I'm repeating myself, but as far as I know, everything is good with it.
Nice. Cool. That's awesome. Um, all right. So since uh, that that night. Um, uh, where you finally like just became sober. Like, how have you um, maintained your recovery? Like, what uh, have you gone to any fellowships or anything? Like, how have you uh, continued to progress your recovery so you're you're strong and won't go back to uh, the drink? That is a very, very, very good question that I was hoping you guys would you would hit on with that. Now, I'm, again, I think with my whole addiction and my recovery, I'm, I've been very, very fortunate that I've had my family, my girlfriend and my kids by my side every step of the way. Um, mm-hmm. My daughters, whenever the next month rolls around, we will go out to eat. Or mm-hmm. go get a cake or something, just little little things like that. And they they tear up and they cry every time because they know that I'm doing good and they see that I'm doing good. I went to when I first started out. The first couple of weeks, we looked around for um, AA meetings, NA meetings, and there's a lot in this town. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I found one that I thought I would be comfortable with. I start, started going to the AA meeting. And after, you know, a few weeks of it, I, I sitting there and, and listening to people. It scared the shit out of me. Because there were people in there that had 35 years sober. And one little itty-bitty thing. I mean, just the minutest of things. There was one guy in there, I'm not going to lie that got a flat tire on the way to work 20 plus years and threw it all away because of that. That frightened me hearing those stories. So I come home and I told my girlfriend, I said, I'm not going to those meetings anymore because it, it, hearing those things scare the shit out of me. And I don't, I, I don't want that in my head. Uh huh. So, um, I, I, I quit going for, you know, quite a while and, Mm-hmm. There, after, well, I don't know, I'd say probably the first two or three weeks after I, I stopped drinking. Uh-huh. This is kind of going, this is kind of going back and forth. Um, I went to a meeting and it just seemed like, I don't know if it, I don't know what happened, but that night I started going through withdrawals and the DTs. Hmm. They they were the ones that you you hear about, and this this is no shit for anybody listening that's going through this. It, it's no shit. It yeah. is you get the tremors, you get the shakes, the sweats. You want to die right then and there in your bed or wherever you have to be that you're going through this. Um, I see a thing every once in a while that says, you know, you you did everything you could in your power to stay high or to feed your addiction. You can do everything mm-hmm. in your power to fight it. There, Every mm-hmm. night, every second that I was going through that, I wanted to go get that bottle because I honestly thought I was going to die. I was so sick, but I somehow could pull myself together and get up and go to work in the mornings. And that... I'm, I'll tell you, listeners, if, I don't know if anybody else has experienced it or not, but 
that was the stupidest thing I could have done. At that time, I went in and my doctor asked how it was going. I told him what was going on. He said, the, it's, it's bad for a doctor to say, he says, I'm not obviously a alcohol specialist or anything, but with what you're saying and what I know in my past experience is you should have been put into a rehab center, a detox center yeah. and been monitored 24 hours a day because you legit could have a seizure or yeah. your body could just completely shut down. And if nobody knows how to take care of that, you're going to die right then and there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, holy shit. But I, I, again, I worked through it all. I did the meetings. And like I said, I got, I got scared. Um, I yeah. did the meetings for probably three months and I stopped. I honestly did. And then I know it, it, it sounds bad for anybody going through it. And then I, uh, one of the guys at work, we were just talking one day and he just started there like a, two or three weeks before. They said, oh, yeah, you know, I haven't had a drink in this long. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, and I'm working on about, what, six months sober and come to find out there's another guy at work that has been cleaning up heroin at, at that time for like three years. Nice. Well, he caught wind of, of our sobriety and stuff and he kind of, kind of took us under his wing a little bit. Another guy that I'm referring to, he doesn't work with us no more, but he's, as far as I know, is still clean and sober. And so he said, Hey, why don't you come check out these NA meetings? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I went, in, went into the NA meetings with the same process in my head that I thought I, I, it's, it's weird for me. I don't like to talk around a bunch of people, mm-hmm. um, especially when they want you to spill your guts and everything else. And, and then I started hearing those stories again. I just, I flat told him, I was like, I can't, I can't do this, man. I honestly can't because these things scare me to death because right now, even just picking up the bottle would destroy everything that I've worked these past almost two years trying to rebuild. You know, it, it's like I, I would have a problem the you know, knocking down those walls but then putting them right back up again. Yeah. I don't, I don't want that. I've, mm-hmm. I've worked way too hard to get where I'm at. Um, it would destroy my family. It would destroy me. You know, my family now is first and foremost. Um, we, there was one at one point, there's been one time I can think of very vividly during this past couple of years that I almost picked back up again. Mm-hmm. And that was when we got a call that my daughter and granddaughter were in a car and the car, uh, the person driving it unbeknownst to them had had a beer or a drink at some place that they were at and they didn't know it. And it was driving way too fast and lost control and rolled the vehicle over a few times. Oh God. The, um, got to bear with me a minute. Getting that phone call at night, I don't remember, really remember much. I do remember we beat the ambulance to the hospital. And I was in such a fit of rage that had the person that was driving been in the ambulance with them. I probably would have went to prison for uh, first degree 
not attempted, but first degree murder, flat out, hands mm-hmm. down. Um, when the ambulance got there, they pulled my granddaughter out on the stretcher. She was screaming her head off. I ran up there. I barreled through the EMTs. That that should have got me tased or shot just to check on her. And they said, dude, she's perfectly fine. <clears throat> her car seat held her in place. She's just knocked around a little bit. She's got a little bit of a bruise and a cut. But she's fine. She's scared to death. And I was I was the first person that she recognized that she's seen. And they get into the hospital and they did scan and everything was good. They're both fine. But for a month or so after that, I I would have to leave to go to work early before my granddaughter woke up because if she seen me leave and she would lose her mind. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's something that's very important to me. Um in in that I almost almost I was so very close but I called my um, other buddy at work and mm-hmm. talked to him and he basically he became my sponsor I've had him since then um, the meetings I've I've honestly stopped going to them mm-hmm. um, because of and I don't know if it's if it's like that it, it's all meetings or various places but there's ones here there, I could sense there was starting to be like infighting between people. Mm, um, yeah, just time. It, it was starting to become kind of a, a toxic and negative place to be, where it's supposed to be a good place to be. Yeah, I started sensing that. I just I told him I'm not I'm not going to go to anymore. I said if you know if you don't want to be my sponsor, that I said I totally understand. It's not going to change our friendship. But he says absolutely not. We're going to stick through this. We're going to get through this. Right. We've um, worked, I think I finished my second step probably three or four months ago. Nice. And he, he, he is what told me. And I've, I've gotten literally into arguments with people on, you know, with recovery pages, like on Twitter and stuff. They say, well, how do you do it? And I flat tell them. And it's my honesty that really gets me into trouble. I said, I have flat stopped going to meetings. My sponsor says, we'll work on these steps when you want to, whenever you want to. It could be a year. It could be 10 years. Whenever you're comfortable, we'll work on them. I'm not going to force you. And people flat hate that. They they seem to think that it's you have to have them done in a year or six months. You have to, like, and, and the whole 90 meetings in 90 yeah. days, that never, that never, I never did that. Mm-hmm. You would get, pe- get people in there that, um, they would come in and you knew the only reason that they were there for and I'm going to get a lot of flack and I hope you guys don't get a lot of hatred on your or for your podcast and on your site but people would come in there with that white piece of paper and you knew fucking exactly why they were there court ordered Mm -hmm. they would sit there they twiddle their thumbs they'd spin the pen around it was to the point where the chairperson would just see them walk in he'd say okay there sign it you can leave if you want to they would all leave. Maybe one or two every two or three months would stay. Huh. Um, that just that just enraged me for some reason. Just like you, you don't know what you have. It's right here in front of you that is going to help you. And that sounds hypocritical because I stopped going. I got to the point where in my head, I don't need to go to meetings. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds bad. 
but to me, I'm better off not going to them because I, I get upset with people yeah. that are like that, you know? And it, it just, it, I, I don't know. I, I just, I had to stop going because I was getting more frustrated and aggravated than I was getting any use, you know, use out of it. Yeah. And that's what it's there for to be mm-hmm. 100% honest, you know, but Absolutely. that's kind of how that went. No, man. Like, um, and I'm sure you're like your sponsors. Maybe he has, maybe, maybe he hasn't, but like, Dude, if it's a trigger for you and it, and it's not a positive part to your recovery, then don't participate mm-hmm. in it. And well, like that's anybody, exactly what he said. And, yeah, and anybody who's giving you shit on on the internet, fuck them. It's your recovery; yeah, it's not theirs. That's exactly what I basically came to. I quit following a lot of that, you know, because you know, I I I, I want to help people. I do, yeah. but in that kind of a negative situation, and I can't say that. I can't tell you guys right now that tomorrow, by God, I'm going to have my degree in, uh, you know, recovery specialist, and I'm going to go and I'm going to do this because that's a bold-faced fucking lie. There's no way that's mm-hmm. ever going to happen. Yeah. But there's still ways that, as recovering addicts, we can help people. But Absolutely. there are so many people in this world that have to get on their, um, their uh, social media platform they got to preach yeah. their ways and, and and if they ask a question to anybody out there they need to understand that you're going to get people like myself that are going to get on there and say this is well you want to know this is honestly how I did it and then you get the smart asses that say well you, you should you should do 90 and 90 blah blah blah, blah. That, that's, that's so cliche to me yeah. it, 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 it I agree it it uh it turns it sour for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the whole 90 meetings in 90 days. Is it, is it great advice? Sure. Like, the, it's Absolutely. not going to hurt. It, yeah, for, for a lot of people, it's great. And for some people, it's not. Like, and, and that's, exactly. and that's a, like, Eric and I, what we love about podcast recovery is that, like, there there is no one way. Like, James's recovery is James's recovery. You're, like, the way you do th- the way you do things is not the way I, like I would do things. It's not the way Eric would do things. All our recoveries are different, but as long as we're moving forward and we're happy and building a better life, that's all that really counts. Mm-hmm. And you know, one time I, I went to a meeting with him because it was his anniversary date. And he asked me mm-hmm. if I'd go. I said, absolutely. I'll, I'll be honored. And this had been two or three months that I'd been to a meeting. And I kind of heard somebody say, well, it's called Keen State Sober. He ain't been here every week. Oh, yeah. Really? Really? That's that. So what you're telling me is I can come into this church hall, sit down with you people, and you automatically think that I've been sober that week. When, yeah. yeah. When I can just go out if I wanted to and get completely plowed shit-based until an hour before that meeting come in, and you guys automatically think, He's been sober just because he's here at a meeting. That's, yeah. you know, and that's that mentality. But that's not, don't get me wrong, that's not like that everywhere. If people yeah. can go into those meetings and they can get that help that they need and get what they need out of those meetings, there is no way in hell I would ever, ever stop somebody from going. In fact, I would pick them up and take them to that meeting and wait for them and take them back home or go have that cup of coffee afterwards. Or even stand outside of them and have a cigarette. 
if that helps yep. them, that's perfect. I mean, I am all for it. We have a store here in our town that just opened up a few months ago that, that's called uh, Grateful. Oh, I can't. It's, oh, it's, it, it's some weird term to it. But they their whole purpose is bringing in the addicts off the street that are recovering, having them come in and they work there or they volunteer, keeps them off the streets, keeps them safe. I've thought about even going down there and volunteering, volunteering myself. But when you get people that, that they get so set in their ways and they have to be at that meeting every week. I mean, they will put, push so many things to the side just to get to that meeting. And you know what? That's, that's fine. That's just not me. I thought that I was going to be that person that would hit every meeting every week, but I just come to find out that I, I, I actually feel much better not going to the meeting and being in that negative environment than I would going there and it really just hampering the process, I guess. But I encourage anybody, if they can get that what they need out of those meetings, fuck yeah, do it because that's what they're there for and they do wonders for so many people. Mm-hmm. Good for you. What you got, Eric? So I, I wanted to ask a little bit more about, you know, kind of uh, you were describing during your share how you kind of, you know, didn't pay as much attention as you would have liked to to your family. And can you kind of describe okay. how how the relationship has changed with your family since um, getting clean and sober and how, you know, you're more present uh, in not only your own life, but also um, in the lives of your family. Wow, shit. Between then and now, um, it has flipped. I'm going to say it, it's, 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 night, it's night and day. It's black and white. Um, little itty-bitty things that I see now, and this is, this is going to sound really strange, but when our, our second granddaughter was born um, about a year and a half ago, I was completely sober when all that went down. So I got to see her, you know, first attempts at rolling over and rolling over and Uh then crawling and then sitting up by herself and, you know, feeding herself and then her first steps um, to, I'm going to say to a very few handful of people that probably really doesn't mean a lot, but that means the world to me because I missed out on all that with my kids. I missed their first steps and their every their first everything. But with our youngest granddaughter, I, I got to see all that. With our oldest granddaughter, they're two years apart. With her, I, I kind of missed all that too. But getting to see their little intricacies and, and, and watching them grow up and becoming much... Um, much more close to them has been nothing short of amazing. Um, family life has changed dramatically. Um, the there were times that the old my girlfriend would text me before I come home saying, "If you know, are you in a bad mood or not?" And she would tell the kids, "Just stay in your rooms, stay out of the collateral zone." Ah. Uh. I don't get the I don't get those anymore. 
I get, uh, what are, what do you want for dinner tonight? Or what are we going to do for dinner? And I get it. Everything has, like I said, it's, it's flip flopped. And that took some getting used to because I thought, wow, this is a side that I never really, I never seen. Um, because keep in mind that these guys here, they're all the family that I really theoretically have because like my, uh, aunts and uncles and things like that. They're, you know, my grandparents have passed away, but all the other ones, they turned code on me, I guess, if you will. I became the, I was the black sheep. I was the, the bad kid. I became that. And they have, they still to this day have never been able to look past that. Even through everything that I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've accomplished so far. Shit, I have a cousin here in town that when my girlfriend put out on Facebook asking anybody here in town, you know, where's some good um, AA meetings, he flat fucking stopped talking to me after that because he drinks. Mm. He shunned me, just basically shunned me out of his life. I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, I, and to be honest, I don't care. It doesn't bother yeah. me because, you know, there's... I don't know how to explain it. it in in one of the steps, you know, you supposed to you're supposed to forgive, and I started out forgiving myself. That was the hardest thing, was forgiving myself for everything mm-hmm. that I've done to my family here, you know. And, and I'll talk to my son about it. He he gets it. He's like, ah, oh, no, it, it all makes sense. And, but everybody else, you know, I I forgive them for turning their backs and not wanting anything to do with this. I mean, not even my kids, you know, and, and that's fine. I'm totally okay with that. I can move on with my life and not be sore about it. I, with stopping drinking, it's afforded me a lot of things. I mean, mentally, physically, home-wise, uh, even financially, say, I had a feeling last year, it's kind of, again, off subject, but it's back to the family thing that, we weren't going to get any new, any Christmas bonuses because the new manager come in to the the dealership. And so I said, okay, every time I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to take that money. I'm going to put it away. Needless to say, I started that in like March. And by the time Christmas rolled around, we had a very, 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 very good Christmas. Um, I just, let's see, August of last year, I was just able to purchase a brand new car never done that before because I've you know it's not so much about working the the theoretic on paper 12 steps there's always other little steps that you do and you look to and there's always something always seems to work work its way and figure itself out we now have we basically have a freedom now where we can go where we want to go if we want to go on a 3,000-mile road trip, we can do it. Or we don't have to worry about, you know, everything in between. Life life is good now because of all of that. And I, I really don't have, I really can't complain about any of it because everybody, would, a lot of people look at it like, oh, you need to, you know, you need to make your amends and everything. Well, I put the olive branch out there. I've tried to make amends. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to keep pushing the subject because they're going to, people like that, they want more 
and more and more and more and more. And I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I don't have time for that silly shit. I have a family mm-hmm. that loves me, that I take care of. That's all that I need, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, yeah. I, I got one last question for you. Okay, hit me with it. All right. What does recovery mean to you? What does it mean to me? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to say waking up every morning um, and not having to run to the bathroom to be sick or be sick wherever I possibly can. Um, Mm -hmm. Going to work with a clear head, kissing my family goodbye in the morning before I leave, coming home, feeling great. Well, I'm not going to say feeling great because everybody has shitty days. Um, yeah. Being able to come home to roof over our head, food in our mouths, um, seeing it just everything in a, in a bubble, seeing the world and how things, even as fucked up as shit is now, seeing how things operate and not just, you know, letting it go over the top of my head because I need to go get that bottle. Seeing mm-hmm. everything, how, how everything, whether bad or good, how. This world operates how my family operates, how friends operate, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, uh, just free, being free from that liquid mm-hmm. ball and chain. Mm-hmm. Nice. Love it. All right, Eric, is it time? Uh, sure, David. You can go right ahead. Is is it time? All right. To the Twitter! (laughs) All right. So... I guess guess we'll do this one. All right. She's still shaking her head at me. So this one is from Benched, um, or at Benched underscore 16. And uh, the way this will work is, James, you'll answer the question first, and then uh, David will answer, and then myself. So this one uh, topic okay. topic slash question is um, how do you go about processing resentments against yourself? Ooh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't quite catch up. What was it? Um, how do you go about processing resentments against yourself? How do you go about processing resentment against yourself? Yes. Fuck. Um, man. I would love to answer answer this question. Uh, Jesus, there, man, that's got me speechless. They're really, to me, the processing against resentment. Holy shit! <laughs> to to put it, I think to me is to not overthink it. Mm-hmm. Get to where get to where you're okay with uh, where you're at, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in your recovery and and your roads to it. Um, don't I guess not overthinking it and don't. You, my son told me once because you cannot let you cannot beat yourself up over the dumbest dumbest shit that you've already done. That has been done. The only thing you can do is to move forward as best as you can. And if you can't figure out a way to make it happen, and if you can't make it happen, 
you just have to tell yourself that it's not meant to be and just try and, and, and try and visualize the, the, the end of it where you, you finally will come to terms with it and just be, okay, you know what? It, it's like extending an olive branch to family. If they don't want to, you know, tickle the branch or accept it, I'm fine with it. You know? Yeah. Don't wear yourself out or beat yourself silly trying to fix what may or may not be fixed. I, I will probably go until the day that I die presenting everything that I've ever done you know, to my family, you know, putting mm -hmm. them in that, in that, in that box and the, in to, they, that they had to shelter themselves in from me. I'm going to resent that till, like I said, my last breath, no matter, and, and they've even, you know, and it's different with, I guess, with my family because they understand and they get it. They've said, you know, no matter, there's no point of, uh, you know, trying to, uh, how to say it, apologize. We get it. We understand. We see what you've been through. We see where you're at now. Bygones are bygones. You know, you cannot live and dwell on something like that. Otherwise, you're just going to drag yourself right back to that needle or that bottle or that pipe or whatever you're trying to run away from. You're just going to run right back into its arms. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um... And I'm going to say what uh, Eric loves to say to me is just that it's about acceptance. It's about acceptance, buddy. Um, uh, no, but really, like, re resentment against yourself are, they're, they're difficult because, like, for me, they're, they're never going to go away. Like, they're never gone. Like, they'll always be knocking around in your brain a little bit every once in a while. And, like, prime example, like, for me, like, um, I'm, a, I'm a very intelligent person, and I've wasted Humble brag. pretty much, like, prime educational years of my life where I could have put myself in a different position than I am today. And, like, I have a resentment against myself about that. But um, another another resentment I have is, like like you said, I, I missed out on years and years of my, my nieces and nephews' lives because I was using. And, like, I have a resentment against myself uh, about those things. Um, mm -hmm. Now, like, that, that regret, remorse, resentment, whatever, is it's never going to go away, but it will lessen over time when... I continue to do the right things now and in, and in the future. So it, like Eric hundred percent is, is right. Like it's about acceptance. Like I can't run away from it. Just like you said, James, um, you, you sort of have to at some point look it in the face and, and see it for what it is and be like, okay, yeah, I did those things. Those things cannot be fixed. That time is gone, but the way you deal with it going forward and you lessen the trigger or lessen the blow from when it decides to ping back into your brain is just when you're doing the right things now and you stack, you stack those esteemable acts on top of each other that, that make you feel good. And you know, they like you're doing the best now. And, um, eventually the scales will, will, will tip back into, uh, 
a, a place of like real just satisfaction and serenity and peace and, and self-love where you can be like, well, those things had to happen for me to be where I am today. Mm-hmm. I agree hundred percent. What about you, Eric? Uh, oh, that's a yeah. dad noise. <laughs> I liked, I liked your little humble brag there, uh, during your, uh, little share, David, you know, incredibly, what? incredibly intelligent, incredibly intelligent, just a little humble brag. Yeah. I just want to pull you up on it real quick, but moving forward, I didn't say incredibly intelligent today. I said I was intelligent. I thought, I, I, said inc- I thought you used an adjective, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I used incredible. Ah, uh, you could be right. Could be wrong. 50, 50. Moving on. We'll Thanks move for on. Humble brag. We'll move it. We'll move on. I just, you know, I like the, I like the term humble brag. Um, I know how you do. So acceptance, yes, of course. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, I've processed resentments against myself. I don't have nearly as many as I used to. Um, a lot of that's yeah. due to acceptance, and then certain things that are simply out of my control which I used to resent myself for, but once I accepted that I do not have control over such things, um, and I can only control the things that I can control, then I usually am able to let those go. And unless any of us have, like, a DeLorean, um, there's no way we can really change the past. Uh, We can only improve... We're getting into DeLorean? (laughs) We can only improve (laughs) upon... um, you know, we can only learn from the past and improve upon the present to meet a better future. Uh, so, you know, unless you have the DeLorean that can go 88 miles per hour, and um, you're you can't change. Oh, I can get 1.21 gigawatts. Don't you <laughs> don't you doubt me? You well, you can't. I mean, you can't change the past, right? So, like, all your resentments no. come from. Um, you don't have a future resentment, right? Like a resentment can form no. in the present, but when it becomes the, you know, I have a resentment, it's because of something that happened in the past. So we can't change yeah. what happened in the past. We can only pr- learn to accept it and to process it and to learn to be better from it. So, yeah, exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, I mean, really, the the key. It's about to, learning. Yeah, and learning that Back to the Future Two is really the you know worst in the franchise. Um, and we're not having this conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's like it's like Return of the Jedi. You think it's the best when you're a kid, but you grow up and you realize it's really not. It's really the worst from the original trilogy. And you know, learning to accept yeah, that. Yeah, And uh, you know. Move past it, David. <laughs> that that's a example. <laughs> it is. I, I that is the worst example ever. Yeah, I, I just I went with the DeLorean. I kept going. Um, and actually, yeah, you just went down a pop culture rabbit hole, there, buddy. Yeah, you actually know that. Uh, I think I think the game is actually part of canon. So technically, the game is the fourth movie. Um, but for Back to the Future, not Star Wars. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm a geek. I don't. I don't think just we stop. talk about that nearly just, as much. Just, just stop. Yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I think. Um, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of resentment stuff. It's it's just like, 
just take take a look at it, accept your part in it, and try to move on from it. And try not to be the same yeah, fucking learn, asshole that you were yesterday. Yeah, learn the yeah. lesson that you can and uh, improve on what you can improve on. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's that's what recovery is in a nutshell. It's just trying to be the best person you can be every day. And if we're improving, hopefully that resentment is going to lessen. You know, especially towards ourselves. Yep, yep. You know, when we do uh, eighth step. You know, one of the things people always say is. You know, you always forget to include yourself. Like, you're on that eighth step. You're part of the process in making amends. And making amends to yourself is, you know, one of the first things you have to do is not be so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I think that's about all we have for you, James. So we would like to thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, man, you did a great job. Appreciate you having on, coming on here. All right. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, Definitely thanks again, James. Keep following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check out our YouTube channel. Go to our website, podcastrecovery.com. All the episodes are available there. Also check out our Patreon page. Maybe give us a couple donations if you feel like what we're doing. But most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe, stay clean.